Well, good morning. We welcome you this morning, and we want to welcome all of our campuses, those of you in Robinson and Washington, those of you in Wilkinsburg and Ross Traver and DeBerry, those of you joining us online, we appreciate uh, you being here with us today as we open God's Word. I want to remind you of one thing. We've been going through a strategic plan uh, here at the Bible Chapel through all of our campuses, and on Monday, March the 18th, is the next meeting for that. Everyone is invited. We're going to be talking about the three goals that we have laid out to you, and we're going to be working on the strategies to implement those goals. So if you are interested in that, that is March the 18th at 6 to 7, we will have a time of prayer. Then 7 to 9 will be the strategic goals time. The elders will meet after that. But come and pray with the elders from 6 to 7 on Monday, March the 18th. Let's pray together before we open God's word. Father, the psalmist said, praise the Lord. For it is good to sing praises to our God. It is pleasant, and a song of praise is fitting. You're the one, Lord, who heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You're the one who determines the number of stars and gives to all of them their names. Great is the Lord, and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. He delights, he does not delight in the strength of the horse. You do not pleasure in the legs of a man. But the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, in those whose hope is in his steadfast love. And Lord, that's where our hope is today, in your steadfast love. And we pray that we would be those who fear you, not a cowering fear but a fear of of awe and wonder at a God who is beyond our understanding. So be with us today, Father, as we look at your word. Be with those coming today with heavy burdens. This psalm tells us that you heal the brokenhearted and you bind up their wounds. And some here today, Lord, that's the only message they need to hear, that you'll heal the brokenhearted and you'll bind up their wounds, and I pray that you would just minister to them today. For all of us, Lord, who need to be encouraged, to need to be refreshed, to need to be reminded of who you are and how you work, I pray, Lord, that you would, uh, you would do that in each of our hearts today. We can't have nothing to say unless, unless it comes from your word. We can't hear unless you open our ears. Our hearts are hard unless you open them up to allow us to absorb what you have for us. And so, Lord, we're we're totally dependent on you to do your work in our hearts. In Christ's name, amen. All right, we are in a series in 1 John, so I'd ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 John. If you go to Revelation, the last book in the New Testament, and go back four books, you will be in 1 John. This book was written by the Apostle John. He's the last living apostle. He writes this letter sometime between 85 
and 95 AD. He's an older man at this time in his 70s or 80s in a time of history where 50 would have been extremely old. The life expectancy was below 50. So here's John, an elder statesman. He's been living in Jerusalem. When the persecution took place, church history says he moved to Ephesus, a center for the church there in Asia Minor, today southwest Turkey. And he's writing this book from Ephesus. Most people think he's writing it to the surrounding churches. And if you're familiar with the book of Revelation, there are seven churches that's addressed in Revelation right at the beginning of the book. And he's probably writing to those seven churches. He writes for five reasons. John is always interesting when he writes. He lets us know exactly why he's writing. He does that in his gospel, and he does it in 1 John as well. And the five reasons are these. One, he wants to encourage Christian community, connection, uh, belonging. And we've been talking about that through our series, and that's really an emphasis of ours as we go through the strategic plan. We want to make sure we are a church where people feel connected and people feel cared for and people can experience a sense of belonging. Secondly, John writes to experience true Christian joy. Don't you want that? True Christian joy, regardless of circumstance. Circumstances come and go. If we ride circumstances, we are on a roller coaster. But there is a deep, settled joy that can only come when we are anchored in the spiritual identity of who we are in Christ. Thirdly, he writes to help believers avoid falling into patterns of sin. He does that throughout his book. Four, to guard believers from false teaching. A lot of false teaching is going on during this time, and John is writing to address that head on. And then number five, to allow believers to know with certainty that they are children of God and will forever be. So I'm going to ask you that question. Do you know with certainty that you are a child of God and you will forever be a child of God? You are a child of God and will forever be. John chapter 5, verses, uh, John, 1 John 1, 5 through 13. I'm not seeing anything on my screen. We got, any, uh, got anything going on back there? All right. Well, you know, when you, when you spring ahead an hour, things happen to technology. So here we go, John 5, 13. We'll try to get that fixed so I can uh, draw some things up here. All right, John 5, 13. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. John says, I'm going to write these things so you don't have to guess, you don't have to hope, you don't have to wait. You can know with certainty that you have eternal life. I write these things to you. Now, that's interesting, these things. So what are these things? As we've been going through the book of 1 John, we've been noting the points of Christian confirmation. These things, these things need to be happening in your life so you can know without any doubt you are a child of God and will forever be. Last time we saw, we saw that walking in the light was, was critical. John said, God is light, and when you are, have a relationship and a connection and fellowship with God, then you're going to be walking in the light as well. And if you say you're walking in the light, I'm a believer, I've trusted in Christ, I'm following him, but you're walking in the darkness, 
Then John's, John's black and white. He's blunt. Then you're a liar, he says, and the truth is not in you. He's going to say that again in today's passage. And so one of the things we have to do to evaluate our life is to make sure we're living a life that pleases God. If we're walking in the darkness and say we're walking in the light, we've got a problem going on in our life. Secondly, cleanse once and for all by the work of Jesus. We'll talk more about that today. Confession, acknowledgement of sin, and we'll talk about that again today as well. Now, John's going to add one more thing to that list for us today, but before he does that, he wants to clarify something that he talked about in the last section of his letter. In uh, John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, the last time we considered, John said this. He said, if we say we have no sin, now he's talking to believers, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And then he goes down in verse 10 and he says the same thing, basically. If we ha say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then right in the middle of that, 1 John 1, 9, he says, but if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, John knows that this letter is probably going to be read in the churches. And when it is read, something is read, or when I speak, it's amazing how many times people catch on one thing that's said and don't hear anything else, right? All they hear. You can talk for 42 minutes, and people will hear one thing and not anything else. And John knew that. And so he wants to make sure that no one heard just one thing he said from that last section. First of all, there could have been those who grabbed on to 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9. If we say we have no sin, we make him a liar, and the truth is not in us, right? And people could say, man, this thing's hard. This is too hard. I battle sin. I fight sin, but I'm going to sin again. And I don't want to sin. I know the penalty of sin's gone, but the propensity or the inclination to sin remains. And here I go. I'm in the battle all day long. I am tired. I'm worn out by obedience. I'm worn out by doing this. That's what David did in 1 Samuel 27, remember? He said, Saul's been chasing me. God's not going to deliver me. He's going to kill me. I'm not going to be king. I'm just going to go to the land of the enemy. It'd be easier. So John says, I don't want that to happen. Now, the second thing he says... I don't want people to think it's too easy. Just do anything you want to do. Sin to your heart's content. No discipline in your life. Not reading God's Word. Just do what you want to do. And then I just go to 1 John 1, 9, right? If I confess my sins, God's faithful and just to forgive my sins and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So John says, I want to make clear, I want to make sure we understand those who would say it's too hard or those who would say it's too easy. Let's just, let's just clarify what we've been talking about. So verses 1 and 2. Let me read through them, and then we'll, we'll, we'll take them one at a time. John says, my little children. Now, that's, that's interesting. Just think about it. If John was speaking this, the volume of his voice would get lower, and the tone would be tender. He's been saying things like, if you say you walk in darkness, you're a liar, and the truth isn't in you. But now he says, my little children. By the way, he heard Jesus say this right before the cross. So he not only caught the phrase, but he caught the spirit of the phrase. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, 
but for the sins of the whole world. All right, let's just, let's just think through that. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My little children, catch the tongue. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. If anyone said, I only heard you say 1 John 1, 9, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just. I'm going to do anything I want to do, and I go get to confess my sins, and God is, will forgive me my sins. Pretty good deal. John says, time out. I'm writing these things to you so that you don't do that. I'm writing these things to you so that you address sin in your life. I'm writing these things to you so that you live in obedience. So for anyone who says it's too easy, time out. I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But for anyone who says it's too hard, if anyone does sin, and we will, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have an advocate with the Father. The word advocate, if you're taking notes, is a person who willingly speaks on another person's behalf, on an accused person's behalf. So if you are on trial and you um, need a witness, an advocate is someone who comes and says, look, I can speak to that person's character. I can speak to their person. I'm their friend. I will speak on their behalf. And that's what Jesus is to us. He is that person who speaks on our behalf. Just think about that. He never gets tired of doing that. And for me, he has to do it a lot. He never says, you're, 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 you're out of advocacy. I'm done. He's always there, and he always speaks to the Father on our behalf. The word advocate is uh, the New Testament, the Greek word paraclete, and normally it's used of the Holy Spirit. In fact, all through his gospel, John uses it of the Holy Spirit. There's a verse in John chapter 14 that's very telling. John 14, 16, Jesus says, I will send another paraclete. So Jesus is calling himself a paraclete, a helper, a counselor, an advocate. I'm going to send another paraclete, helper, advocate. That's the Holy Spirit. And so both the word advocate can both describe the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And so John here uses it to describe Jesus. He is our advocate. He is the one who never gets tired of speaking on our behalf. Now, that begs a question. Why can Jesus be our advocate? Why can John make such a statement that Jesus is our advocate? And when we sin, our advocate, our friend, speaks on our behalf to the Father. Why can Jesus be our advocate? Well, there are two reasons that John gives. First, at the end of verse 1, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, what? The what? You can see it right there. The what? The righteous, right? 
Jesus Christ, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the sinless one. Jesus Christ, the perfect one. So Jesus does not have to advocate for himself. He's sinless. And he doesn't need anyone to advocate for him. He's sinless. He is the righteous advocate. But there's a second reason. 1 John 2, 2. He is, not only is he righteous, he is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. Propitiation. That's a big word, kind of hard to say, and a lot of theologians, even commentators, don't like it. In fact, some of your translations might use a different word, expiation, instead of propitiation. Because propitiation means this. It means appeasing anger by offering a gift. Appeasing anger by offering a gift. And if we say that Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, he is the one who appeases, what? The anger or the wrath of God. And a lot of people don't like that because how can God be a God of love and a God of wrath? We don't want to use the word anger or wrath when we're talking about God. Well, we can't get around it, can we? There's the word. Propitiation and appeasement for sin by offering a gift. So we have to think through this. Get a blank slide here. Think about it this way. When we think of God, we all, we like to think about God in pieces, right? We certainly like the fact that God is love. We're not going to throw that one away. And we like the fact that God is faithful. And so we can think of God with all these things. God is love, but he's also just, and he is all the omnipresence and omnipotent and all-knowing, all the omnis, right? He's faithful. He's patient. Give me one more. True. Truth, all right? Everything he says is, is right and true. He's righteous. And so we could, we could have, have a lot more uh, of those. But here's the thing I want to drive home. When God works, he doesn't work in pieces. He works in wholeness. And so when God works, all of his attributes are working together. You can't just pull one out. All of them are working together. Every one of them. And when God, so when God is demonstrating his wrath, he is also demonstrating his love and his kindness, and his mercy. You can't separate them out. As a just judge, he must adhere to the law. And he has set the standard. The wages of sin is death. And we see throughout Scripture, God's anger, and by the way, his anger is not like on a whim like ours. We can get angry, we can get angry just like that, right? Some of us can. But God's 
anger or wrath, when you look at it in the Scripture, it is a settled disposition, a settled opposition against evil. God hates evil. He knows what it does to us personally. He knows what it does to us as a, as a world. He hates evil. He knew that when he told Adam and Eve, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. You've got everything you want. I love you so much. I've given you everything you want. But if you eat from the fruit of the tree, if you disobey me, then you're going to die. And they ate, and there was separation from God. They were kicked out of the garden, and then there was physical separation, soul from the body, physical death. And then finally, there will be, without God's intervention again, eternal death, separated from God forever. So it's Jesus who came to satisfy the wrath of God. In the Old Testament, it was animal sacrifices. whole book, Leviticus, explains how you bring an animal to be sacrificed, a perfect animal without spot or blemish. You bring it, and the worshiper would put their head on that calf or bull, whatever it was, or goat, and the thro- as graphic as this, the throat of the bull or animal would be cut, and as that animal was, was writhing in its death throes, the worshiper said, I should be dying instead of that animal. I should be dying, but that animal is taking my place. In the New Testament, it's no longer animal sacrifice, is it? What is it? Jesus came. One time for all time. One time for all time. He took our sins in his body on the cross to appease the wrath of God on sin, God's settled opposition to evil. So think of it like this. Here's the wrath of God. Whether you're in the Old Testament or New Testament, you can't get away from the wrath of God. Some people would say, well, God's wrath in the Old Testament and God of grace in the New Testament. Then you're not reading the Bible. We see God's wrath demonstrated in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. The wrath of God is revealed against all the ungodly who suppress the truth, and man is without excuse. And so the wrath of God is on man who is a sinner and on his own that person takes the wrath of God God's, God's judgment God's penalty on sin we are on our own but God loved us so much what did he do? His wrath still comes, but he sent his son Jesus to die for us on the cross. And so a Christian, one who has trusted in Jesus, the wrath of God is intercepted. The wrath of God is paid for in full on the cross. Think about that. We don't have to take God's anger or wrath towards sin. Jesus did it for us. He is our propitiation. Now, people hear what they want to hear, right? And so some will leave saying, wait a minute, God's wrath over, how can God be a God of love and demonstrate his wrath toward people? Hell at the end. How does that, how can God do that? 
about what he did. That's his justice. He's just. The wages of sin is death. But he loved us so much that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that the question is not, how could God's wrath be on a person? The question could be, how could God send his wrath on his son? And he did because he loved us so much. And everyone has that opportunity. Everyone has that opportunity to trust in Christ. John makes that clear in John uh, 2, verse 1. Or, sorry, verse 2. Look at this. He's the propitiation for our sins, but not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now, why does John say that? John says that so that no person can say, well, I, I must not be one of the elect. I don't think Jesus died for my sins. My sins are so many that he, he could never have paid the penalty for my sins. John says, you kidding me? He is a propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but for the sins of the whole world. So that's a question. Have you trusted in Jesus Christ alone as the only way to have a relationship with the living God. He is our advocate. And he's our advocate because he is righteous and he made propitiation, appeasement for our sin. Now, John said, if, if you have that, if you trusted in Christ, then it should that should be demonstrated in your life. You cannot say, I trust in Jesus, but I walk in darkness. And you can't say, I trust in Jesus, but I don't care about your commands. I'm not going to listen to them. I'm going to do what I say. Now, I want the get out of hell card. Get out of hell. Whatever that is. That's what I want, right? I want that. I want the fire insurance. But I'll live the way I want to live. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want God's wrath on me. So I'll walk the aisle. I'll sign the card. I'll pray the prayer. But I'll live however I want to live. If I want to take my money and keep my money, I'll take it and keep it. If I want to get into pornography, I'll do that. If I want to, if I, if I want to, if I want to bust up my marriage, I'll do that. If I sexual sin, I'll do that. I'll live the way I want to live. John says, you don't get it if you're doing that. Might you fall into some of those sins? Yes, but that is not the disposition of your heart. And John says, by this we know, in verse 3, that we've come to know him, that we keep his commandments. And whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth isn't in him. Now John's back to talking pretty bluntly, isn't he? Whoever says, I love Jesus, I'm just not going to keep his commandments. John says, he's a liar and the truth isn't in him. Whoever says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, truth isn't. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. We are able to experience the complete and full and unmeasured love of God when we keep his commandments. By this we know that we are in him. This is the fourth Thing, these things that John gives us, this is the fourth one, if you just write in your notes, obedience. Obedience. Following hard after Jesus. Doing what Jesus calls us to do. Whoever says he abides in him ought also walk in him in the same way 
in which he walked. We'll talk more about that next time. And next time, uh, we don't have time today, but in your notes, there's a three strands of the Old Testament law, which is, which is a really cool word that uh, John uses here. Again, we'll get to that next time. But the question is this. Do you know without any doubt that you have trusted in Jesus Christ alone and that the wrath of God, which is just as real in the New Testament as in the Old, the wrath of God has been taken, intercepted by Jesus, and you get freedom and eternal life instead. Can you think of a greater gift Jesus takes our wrath, we get eternal life. When you do that, you are involved in a community of believers. And you have that connection and belonging. And you have people to help you on your journey, even when the journey gets tough. Ryan Middleton uh, is our director of outreach. And uh, Ryan has, just feels God calling him back into business. And he's going to be taking a sales job in the area. So we're glad it's in the area. And Ryan's story is very, very powerful. Uh, I uh, first met Ryan about 10 years ago. And his family was going through some tough things. And uh, Ryan uh, then started volunteering uh, at a Robinson campus, our first uh, multi-site. And he was, he, he just is one of the hardest, he's a hard, hard worker, one of the hardest workers I know. And uh, I, I remember going out to the Robinson site and Ryan would be there before anyone else. And he'd be loading the, we had this pod thing that we kept all our stuff in and he'd be loading it. And then after the service, he was the last one to leave. He always demonstrated that. And we brought him on and for the last six years, he's been serving here. But I wanted you to hear how Ryan came to understand the love of God in his life. It's a pretty cool story. So welcome, Ryan Middleton. <clears throat> Thanks. No Ryan, it's uh, kind of bittersweet to have this uh, interview, but I think, uh, it, by the way, we're going to do a longer podcast on this. We're just going to be able to, to touch some highlights uh, this morning. Uh, but it's kind of cool to think about what, how God has worked in Ryan's life. So, Ryan, you grew up <clears throat> in a pretty rough situation. Um, folks divorced when you were 10. Mm -hmm. and, um, and never, ever any church experience. I mean, going to church doesn't make you a Christian, for sure. But there was no church experience hardly at all in there. So, so what, what did you think about God or what was your kind of your concept of God? Yeah, I, I didn't really have uh, much uh, thoughts about God. I, I just didn't think it was, it was real. I thought it was a, a story, fabrication. And um, the, the, the limited experiences I did have with church was not any type of um, faith journey for me. It was all empty. It was, there was nothing uh, in it. Uh, th that I obtained from those experiences. So um, as I grew up and, and faced, uh, uh, you know, not having a father in my life and all those things, that didn't seem like something that was um, real or that I would ever be involved in. Mm -hmm. Then you had a friend. You get, so you, you grow up, you get married, you start your career, and you have a friend 
who just keeps bugging you to come to a men's event here. Talk about that. Like, yeah, as, like for it, 10 years. Yeah, as, as, um, as I've thought about this, uh, I mean, I really think my story is a perfect example of what the church looks like when things are going, when things are being done the right way. And so I had a friend, John Shell, and for like roughly 10 years, he kept asking me, hey, Ryan, why don't you come to the men's, uh, the men's Thanksgiving breakfast at the Bible chapel? And I was like, John, that's, that's your thing, um, not my thing, right? So we went through some things, and we'll get into that. And, and John was always there, a great friend, a good God. Like, he was my friend that was the religious one, right? And so, so I, um, I respected that, but it wasn't for me. And, and, and for 10 years, he just kept at it, and, and it was always no. And so we went through this time, and he was there. And so he invited me again shortly thereafter to the men's Thanksgiving breakfast. And this year I said, you know what? I'm going to appease him. He's been a great friend and I'll go. A little propitiation. <laughs> so I, I went. I came here. We, we, we got here a little late, so we ended up eating in 141 right downstairs. And um, sat down with these guys. And I'm like, well, these guys aren't that much different than me. And, and, um, and then I came up here, and the funny thing is they, they forgot to turn the heat on. This building was pretty new at the time, and so you could, like, see your breath. It was so cold in here, and I'm going, like, this is, like, my, one of my first church experiences, right? And I'm going, they, they have church like this? They like to see, be able to see their breath? So, so that was the day that I, I, Daniel Sepulveda was here, and I heard the gospel for the first time. And it wasn't... Um, it was, I mean, I may have heard the gospel before, but I didn't hear it. Um, but it finally made sense to me. This Jesus, the story made sense, and I was intrigued, and I was like, and, and I was like looking around, and I'm like, this doesn't look like the church experiences I've had and expected. It's very different. I, I was intrigued. And so from that moment, that Saturday morning, the next day I came to church with John, and then I started attending on a weekly basis um, by myself, and um, what a what a turnaround from uh, this guy that would have gladly and proudly said, "Yeah, I'm atheist or agnostic at best." So you get involved in a huddle group. Yeah, I, I. And those guys really really surrounded you. So and that's you know getting connected is another great example. I. I, John was in a huddle group with some great, uh, great men of, of Christ, and, and they kind of like, once I came to Christ, they kind of adopted me into that huddle group, and it was just a safe place for me that, you know, all these, as a new Christian, all these different things, different experiences, I had a safe place to go and ask these guys, like, what about this, or what about that, and they were always very gracious, and we, we had a lot of, of fellowship and a lot of fun, and, and it also helped me to um, dive right into my faith and, and be able to experience things and serve immediately and do all those things and really mature as a, as a young Christian in a, in a, in a way that um, was healthy and, and I, was, I was able to grow quickly. We always talk about part of our vision is having a place where seekers can find Jesus and you can get your questions answered. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that was your place. That was the huddle group was your place, right? Absolutely. You could ask any question, no judgment, and uh, guys are going to answer that question for you. Man, that was a great gift. And I, and I used up a lot of those silly questions. <laughs> uh -huh. 
So um, fast forward a little bit. So uh, you're coming, uh, Denise, and you have a son, Austin, right? Mm -hmm. And then uh, Denise is pregnant. And kind of walk us through that. Well, actually, we're, we're kind of rewinding. We're, we're, okay. we're, we're jumping back a little bit. So um, the time I talked to you guys about where I said we were going through a tough time and John was there for us, um, I'm going to share a little bit about that. So we, uh, I was still unsaved at the time. My wife and I had a one-and-a-half-year-old one child, and she was pregnant. She was six-and-a-half months pregnant with our second child. And... Um, I was writing a best man's speech for a wedding I was attending in Philadelphia the next day, and it was like 10 p.m., and I heard this scream. And it wasn't the type of scream where you hesitate or pause or ask, are you okay? I just ran. I knew something was wrong. And so um, in the bathroom, I found my wife, and pardon the graphic, but um, she was not, She like blood was just coming out of her. She, she had felt something and thought her water broke and went in and it was, and it was blood. And so we rushed her to the hospital and um, there was, uh, uh, she had a, 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 I can't think of the terminology, a, an abruption. And so um, that was what was causing the bleeding and she had to have an emergency C-section and at 12.04, a.m., our second child was born. And she came out, and she was healthy and crying, and I remember I wasn't allowed to be in the room, and I, and I was real nervous and sitting outside of the room, and I, I you know, heard a cry, and, like, you know, everything was, everything was good. And John really ministered, was there with you at the hospital, ministered uh, to you through that? Yeah, we had a nurse that came by the next shift, um, she was there that night, and then it was the next night. She came by, and she said, um, "Do you? did any of the doctors talk to you about what happened last night? And we were like, no. I'm like, yes, but what do you mean? And she's like, well, I'm just letting you know your daughter shouldn't be okay. And we're like, what do you mean? She's like, at best case scenario, we thought we were going to be lifelighting her, but we thought that was best case. We didn't think she, there was no way for her to sustain life. She was 85%, um, uh, you know, the uterus was separated 85%. She was like, we, we were very shocked. And she said these words to me, someone was looking out for her. And uh, I don't know if she had a faith, but I didn't. I just kind of brushed that comment off as like one of those spiritual comments. So John Shell came and visited, and I was walking him out and telling him that story. And I said, John, we are so lucky. And he, and he turned to me and he said, Ryan, it has nothing to do with luck. And so uh, that was one of those, one of those moments that um, I remember very clearly. And I was still a non-believer at the time. So then, so John's always been there for me. So then when he invited me that year, I was going to be nice to him back and, and, and reward him by appeasing him and coming to the chapel. <laughs> so we, we came to the chapel, and then, um, so that was, uh, she was born on October 4th, which last night I, I said the wrong date. Um, believe me, I heard about that from my wife. <laughs> so... Um, so on, um, that was October 4th, then we did the uh, uh, men's Thanksgiving breakfast in the end of November, and then 
our daughter was preemie, very small. We weren't taking her out of the house unnecessarily a lot. So we finally all came to church together. I had been coming by myself. We finally all came to church together on Christmas Eve. So Christmas Eve um, rolls by, and then the Sunday after that, uh, the baby wasn't feeling great. And so um, I came by myself again that day, and I got home from church that day. And I said to my wife, I need to get my own Bible. And she was like, okay, we'll pick one up this week. And I was like, no, no, I, I need to get one today. And uh, so we were, there was a Steeler game at 4 o'clock. So we went between, before the Steeler game, um, and went to the bookstore. And I didn't even know there were Christian bookstores at the time. But we went to the bookstore in the mall and went to the religion section. And there were like 18 billion Bibles and I'm not exaggerating. So I'm like, so I'm like what, what Bible do I get? Like, I had no idea. So I bought my first Bible that day. Cool, cool. And then, um, so we watched the Steeler game. That night we went to bed, and um, we woke up the next morning, and um, everyone's worst nightmare was our reality because our daughter had suddenly passed away in the middle of the night. And so um, that um, was, you know, a moment that I would never wish on my worst enemy. The, the, the pain you feel is, you can't even describe it. Um, and, and that was uh, rubber meets the road for me, right? You know, do I really believe? Am I really a believer? And um, I... I, that was the day I knew I, 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 I had given my life to Christ because I turned to him. And I didn't understand. And I didn't, um, I, I, I didn't know why it, this was happening. And it was a lot of pain. And I, I remember um, being completely numb. I remember being outside in December, late December. This is December 29th. And being in a T-shirt and shorts that I had been wearing all morning, that was what I slept in, and, um, and there being snow on the ground, and I, I just felt nothing. And, and um, I remember looking up at, at the sky and just asking why. And um, that was, you know, a, a rubber meets the road kind of day. And, and we... we um, never turned away from God. We weren't angry. We were just in pain. We needed, um, we needed to know what this was all about and what um, God was doing in our lives and all those things. And, and it's a perfect example of the church rallying around us. That's when the huddle group like, rallied around my family and, and myself. And, and it was a beautiful example of um, what the church is called to be. Ryan, I was thinking, you know, looking at First uh, John and, and these things that confirm you know, points of Christian confirmation. Mm-hmm. But what a point of confirmation when you've just lost your daughter, Madison, and instead of running from God, you still have questions, mm-hmm. but instead of running from God, you turn to him. Mm-hmm. Man, that's pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. Pretty powerful stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, and so I just dove right in. I started, I, I went on a, uh, a mission trip 
uh, about four months after that. Um, went through a lot through that time period. My father passed away, who I was estranged from, who was an alcoholic and abusive, and I was, uh, hadn't talked to him. It's weird, I, I, I called his sister, who I hadn't talked to in, I mean, we were, the whole family was estranged. I called his sister the day he died, asking, hey, how's my dad doing? And so God just real, and, and there was pain with that, and and God worked His way through all of that in my life, and and um, uh, many members of your family came to Christ through all this. Absolutely, there were many members of not only um, my family but friends as well that that heard the, our story and reached out to us. And I've even had messages on people messaged me on Facebook recently saying, you know how God worked in your life has been a, a, an inspiration to me and I have been seeking God through uh, hearing your, the story of what your daughter did in, in, in your life and what God did in your life. And so it's, it's really cool to, to know that um, her legacy lives on. I could never do in my 41 years and however many more God has for me uh, what she did in her 80 days of life. So pretty cool. Ryan, thanks for sharing that story again. We're going to have a longer version uh, for those who want to listen to it. I know many will. And uh, we appreciate you and just all, all you and Denise and your ministry here at the Bible Chapel for uh, these six years. And uh, again, it's bittersweet for us, but we know you take uh, the ministry. You're going to be ministering wherever you go. Yeah. 